I don't know if you you saw this. This just came out in Rolling Stone um, today. A menace to public health. Doctors demand Spotify puts an end to the COVID lies on the Joe Rogan experience. They are now, 200 doctors and scientists are now gathering Mm. together and they are demanding that Spotify cancel Joe Rogan and stop him from speaking out. This, This is... Wow. This wow. is fascism. Absolute fascism. And hopefully they don't cave in this time. Uh, they, they, they've already weathered one of those storms. Mm. We'll see if they, they do it's, it again. It's particularly tough for them with Joe Rogan because it's not like, like Apple carries our podcast and so does Spotify. Uh, all three of Pat, Pat Gray Unleashed, Studios America, Glenn, Glenn Beck Radio Program, all of those are ca- carried on all these places. What's different mm-hmm. with Spotify? Spotify literally pays Paid. Joe Rogan and has him as exclusively on their platform. So it's they get all the pressure. It's not split up between all the different uh, different providers. Correct. And you know, I, this is a move on the left. This is not like some random thing where you know a bunch of employees suddenly woke up and said, "You know what? We're, we don't like this." They they launched an effort coming back just a few weeks ago uh, with a report from the Brookings Institution, an article in the New York Times, uh, advertisement yeah. campaigns. We need to stop these podcasts. These podcasts are doing this just like they were going after Twitter accounts and Facebook accounts before. They've now expanded that to come after podcasts. So there is no, there really is no safe space for people. Remember, I couldn't be on network television. They first kicked me off of ABC. Then they, uh, then they made sure that I couldn't get a job in cable news. They did everything they could. So they all said, you gotta, you just have to go to the Wild West. So we did. We started our own thing. We started the blaze. We, we pioneered. Uh, the uh, the live streaming television podcast for serious uh, people. Uh, and now that's not good enough. There is no space. They're coming after talk radio. They're coming after our podcast. They're coming after our websites. And this is why it is so important that you support those voices that you believe are giving you uh, the truth. That Joe Rogan I mean, so you know, Joe Rogan has about 20 million listeners uh, a week. Uh, That is the height of the Rush Limbaugh uh, time. Um, Those numbers are not put together. I mean, Fox News, even, you know, in its its heyday, uh, Bill O'Reilly and I probably do 17 million a week. Is that right? 15 million a week on television. He is exploded, and it's because he's just asking regular questions, and he's willing to talk to pretty much anyone, Uh, and they can't have that, and they know the power of going directly to the people. They have to have gatekeepers. I I wish him the best, wish him the best, but... um, you know, there is only one company. We're we're talking about our contracts now, and uh, there's only one company that I would ever consider doing a contract with yet, and it's because they've been my partner since 1989, and I know them. And uh, you know, that's that's uh, iHeartRadio. They are uh, they've been just they'll put on all points of view. They have people that I mm-hmm. really disagree with on the left. And they have people that they disagree with on the right. And that's the way it's supposed to be. Um, these other companies, I don't know, they don't have records of, of actually uh, taking a stand and being for freedom of thought and freedom of speech. 
so um, the other thing that is um, it is going on is uh, the the Supreme Court now blocking this vaccine mandate. But Pat, I'd love to hear your thought on this. It, Biden is still going after now. I mean, yesterday <laughs> Biden said he wants businesses to do it anyway. Yeah. Um, and he's the day before he went after Google and, and Facebook and Spotify and said, you've got to control this, these lies about COVID. It's, a, it's, a, it's just an attack and an affront on, uh, on our way of life, on, mm-hmm. on, uh, on the, the separation of powers. It's, I've never seen anything like this where, Multiple times, the Supreme Court has blocked uh, the any administration like this, and then the administration continues just to go about their business uh, as if there was no ruling from the Supreme Court. I mean, this is back to the time of of Andrew Jackson. This is uh, this is complete lawlessness. Andrew Jackson and and FDR. Up until about 38, FDR was doing exactly the same thing. And, you know, the, you know, is what's crazy is, you know, we've, we've put our book out, uh, this week, The Great Reset, which you can order right now. I have an update on this coming up. Um, but order it right now. Get it on Kindle. Read it. It is really, really important. Number one best selling book in the country. And, um, uh, when you, when you see the utopian dream of just, experts making every decision in your life it when people catch on to this when they realize this is not just about covid this just isn't about uh you know anything it is about education it is about sexuality it is about movement it's about energy it's about absolutely everything all the way to the core of your faith when people get that it's uh it's not going to be it's not going to be good because we have fought fascism before. And uh, I, I just don't think that when the average American, and I mean Democrats and independents as well, when they start to really understand what's going on, uh, they're going to stand up and they're going to push back. And it's going to, it, it's going to be hard, but it, we win. We win in the end. This is, I think, the litmus test for anybody who is going to go to Washington, D.C. Do you know what the Great Reset is? Do you know how dangerous it is? Uh, And what are you going to do to help uh, fight it? It is a story of real tyranny. And this is why we have so much chaos. And this is why I've said for 15 years, do not participate in anything that causes more chaos. Chaos... um, the solution to chaos is always tyranny. Too many chefs in the kitchen. Too many people, you know, trying to figure it out. Too many voices all at once. Too much plurality. Everybody's, everybody's got an opinion. We just... And you need time. And you need rest. And you just are exhausted. And you're exhausted with the fear of what's going on. And then too many cooks in the kitchen. And it becomes collective fear. And you start to think nobody really has an answer. Nobody has an answer. This is something that Plato talked about 2,500 years ago. At times of extreme chaos, people will turn to the politician or the political party that promises to restore order. 
That's what's happening right now. And the chaos is going to get worse. And right now, they're ignoring the thing that really is chaotic in your life, and that is your job, your business, and inflation. How are you affording to do the things that you need to do? I guarantee you they're ignoring it now, but those same people who are ignoring it will be the ones that will come to you with a solution, and it will be a very bad solution. But that's not the way tyranny usually comes. Tyranny, you know, when we think of tyranny, you think of Darth Vader. Um, But that's not how tyranny comes. Usually tyranny is pretty boring. What we want is boring. That's why people elected Joe Biden. They wanted something predictable, calm, an escape from all of the noise. And so you do that and you give that person power. And sometimes you give them way too much power because just whatever it takes, whatever it takes to save us. We've always known in America Power tends to corrupt, and absolute power tends to corrupt absolutely. But I think we have forgotten those things. Because there's a specific kind of power that leads to tyranny. It's the power that arises when the weak come together to ambush the strong. And ambush is the only tactic they have. It's a, a, an attempt to substitute violence for power. But what they don't realize is is that, yes, tyranny involves one person or one party having all the power, but at the same time, tyranny stops the development of power. It stops the development of politics, which stops the development of human nature. Have you noticed that politics have really stopped and frozen in time? What you believe about Donald Trump will never change. What you believe about COVID and the vaccines will never change. Nobody is willing to change their positions because no one is looking at anything, including COVID, as anything other than political. The virus does not care who you voted for. The virus doesn't care if you're in China or you're in America. It doesn't care if it came from a lab or nature. It doesn't care. Tyranny. Tyrants. The, 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 the biggest problem is not their cruelty, and it's incredible cruelty, cruelty. It's their efficiency and their callousness. They provide stability. They provide productivity. They provide security. And as things churn in their new world order, there's a quiet transfer of power that takes place. It's a, it's a theft. It's a heist. The power of the people is taken slowly, bit by bit, and put into the hands of a few at the state. And you don't notice it happening when it's happening. Because when we think of tyranny, again, we think of the jackbooted thugs. We don't imagine it happening bit by bit. But tyrants don't gain power on a platform that expresses contempt for freedom. Even Hitler didn't do that. And he didn't get it all at once. He took it piece by piece. And they appeal to your humanity. How did, how did you kill all of those Jews? How did you do it? Because those people are against what we believe in. Those people are uh, the people that 
um, have brought these problems upon us. And if we can just get them isolated, if we can just not work with them, then all of humanity is going to be okay. We're doing a service. That's how they got people to kill other people. It's only in the end do you see how horrific the idea is. Tyranny instead structures your life for you better than a democracy ever could because a democracy is chaos. It's complicated. It requires a lot of each individual to think and to contemplate. And the power is dispersed among everybody. So nobody has power over the other person. A tyrant is like a universal remote. I mean, I just we just need to shut everybody up. We just got to watch this show. But before long, you start to realize the cost. Everything repeats, and this is where we're at now. It's still growing, but have you noticed how everything repeats? Everything begins to be exactly the same. Everything has become about politics and not about principles. Not about right and wrong. Not about standing up and speaking out. You're, you're not standing up with people who say we should take rights away from people who disagree with me medically. We should take their children away. 48% of Democrats who voted for Joe Biden say that you should take their freedom away if they disagree with you on social media. When the voices are snuffed out that disagree with you, what happens to diversity? Everything will be exactly the same. And individuality is completely gone. But usually tyrants, it gets worse because individuality eventually becomes a crime. It's easier under tyranny to act than to think. They want you to think. How many times have you heard, don't think, don't listen to that, don't read that? Anytime anyone has ever told me not to do something, I usually end up doing. And it's usually, I mean, in my early days, it was because that's just the kind of rebel that I was. But now it's because I know if you don't have a good reason for it, and even if you do, I'm smart enough to figure out and look at that and say, okay, I see why I shouldn't do that. But if you just blank me, tell, tell me I can't do something, I can't read something, I can't think something, you are part of the tyranny. And the tyrant keeps speaking uh, and acting as one. There's no protest, no city councils, no school board meetings, no discussion of any kind in the end of this. People keep their opinions private because the tyrant speaks for them. It may seem like people are still participating in public life, but really, they're only spouting slogans of the tyrant's party. This is the way it happens every time, and it leads to isolation. And isolation is the gasoline that turns the flame into an eruption. A tyrant is isolated from the people. Have you noticed the polls? The poll numbers are saying that this administration and the Democratic Party are out of touch with the American people. They are not concentrating on the things the American people are interested in. Why? 
because they are isolated. They have self-isolated. They have taken anyone who disagrees with them and removed them from their sphere of influence. Once you isolate yourself, you lose touch with humanity. The people become isolated. And we begin to assume that tyranny is normal and that our suspicions of it are taboo. Isolation through fear, suspicion. It's the fear of getting banned by social media, the fear of getting fired for some dumb joke we made you know, on social media maybe 10 years ago. We're, we want to leave social media, but we're afraid to get off it, and we're terrified of being kicked off it. This is why the tyrant discourages people from worrying about politics. Tyranny is the escape from politics. Sounds appealing, but it's not. Our political beliefs are more than just feelings or convictions. They are the body and the mind of our personal freedom. At its core, tyranny is the expression of impotence. Not weakness, impotence, voicelessness, powerlessness, inability to act. The solution to impotence is the loss of power. It's strength. It's strength, not power. You cannot overcome tyranny by overpowering it. Violence can destroy power, but it can never take its place. And tyranny will always collapse, always, and be replaced with something else. It's why Marxism will never work. You can take away a person's property and their family. You can take away their private life. You can make them powerless. You can make them impotent. Um, But we think of ourselves still as as an individual, and we have to think of our nation as a family. We have a shared investment, and... I don't care if your little sister was wrong or right or whatever. When my little sister is being beat up, I stand up for my little sister. I stand up for my family members. I stand up for the bully. And if it is a member of my own family that is the bully, I do not stand up for that bully. I stand against that bully. Our nation needs to be a giant neighborhood again, not a commune, not a castle, but a a space filled with private properties, connected invisibly by community, by neighbors, by strangers, friends, by people that share citizenship and the same values, and not values like I go to your church, you go to my church. Values that we believe in the sanctity of man the sanctity of the individual life and believe that everything is not political. When social power becomes political power, social power can make people think they have an obligation to the majority. When the beauty of democracy is it protects the voiceless and the abandoned, it protects the dissenters, it protects the rebels, That's why we have always been a nation of underdogs. That's why we have always liked the rebels. Because they are the voiceless. They are the downtrodden. 
The tyrants want you to believe that politics is a religious war. But politics isn't war. And politics isn't religion. There's no compromise on the battlefield. There's no compromise with the devil. But politics demands, depends on compromise, not obedience and not submission. There's one person, one thing more important than the majority. And if we can remember this, we will be okay. The one thing more important than the majority is that one lone voice that disagrees with the majority. Welcome back, America. We're here with Peter Pry, to me the foremost expert when it comes to protecting our electrical grid, which is not protected, and the consequences of that could be quite extreme to each and every one of you. Maybe there's never a good time to bring this up, but the way I view it, there's never a bad time to bring this up. You know, our, our televisions are clouded with issues and policies that are driven by the far left and the Democrat Party and the media. They try to prioritize what takes place in this country. So every now and then we have to pull back and re-examine this. Cheers, Mr. Now, we have spent trillions and trillions of dollars over the course of the last year. Hundreds of billions have been lost in fraud. Hundreds of billions have provided surpluses to states. Billions and billions pushing the agenda of the Democrat Party, subsidizing their base in the American Marxist movements. Billions for the IRS. Uh, all kinds of new programs, new kinds of bureaucracies, you name it. The question is, how much has been spent or has enough been spent to protect our electrical grid? Is it still vulnerable? And if it is vulnerable, what does that mean, given the fact that the communist Chinese are hell-bent on creating a superior military with hypersonic weapons and so forth that could knock out our electrical grid? So I wanted to bring Peter Pry back. Peter, what do you make of all this? Well, Mark, I think this is actually an ideal time to be talking about the threat from, uh, from EMP and cyber warfare, since we're on the threshold of a possible war with Russia and China both over the Ukrainian and Taiwan crises. You know, Washington has finally woken up to the fact that these two nations are strategic partners, allies, in what I call a Sino-Russo access. And um, if we cannot resolve this issue with Ukraine, which is as we speak, being negotiated between the Biden administration and Russia, and Russia decides to invade Ukraine, the most likely way they would attack us in the outbreak of a third world war would be with EMP and cyber. And unfortunately, we're no further along in protecting our electric grid from these threats, you know, than we were 20 years ago, really. Uh, we do have an executive order from President Trump that I will give the Biden administration credit for the fact that they they have not suspended that executive order. And in fact, they they would argue that they're doing more than anybody has in the past to implement it because the infrastructure bill does include millions of dollars. That's fire, Jimbo. Advance national EMP preparedness. But in my view, the money is going to the wrong people. It's going like to the Department of Energy, which has been one of the chief adversaries for for years and years against actually protecting uh, the electric grid is going to studies, not to actually hardening the grid. I mean, this is what Washington usually does. You know, it spends all that money on additional studies. Now, it's all always useful to have additional reports, but we have we know about the EMP threat. The EMP Commission 
provided basically a blueprint for protecting the country. That money should be going on an emergency basis to actually hardening the grid, but it isn't. Moreover, in the same legislation where they spend millions on doing additional studies on EMP, with one hand, uh, they attempt to advance national EMP preparedness that way, but the provisions they have for climate change, for protect, uh, advancing climate change initiatives, a lot more money goes there, and those work against EMP and cyber preparedness. You know, shutting down coal-fired plants, uh, you know, no money for advancing hydroelectric facilities, uh, nuclear power is neglected. These are the most resilient forms of energy when it comes to EMP and cyber warfare. And even if you're a believer in climate change, you should be in favor of things like nuclear, more nuclear power plants, which are the cleanest you know, form of energy. Uh, also, this business about creating huge solar farms, you know, uh, and then we're going to string uh, hundreds of extra kilometers of high-powered voltage wires to tie them into the big grid. This is exactly the kind of thing that will make the electric grid less stable and more vulnerable to EMP and cyber attacks. So I, I actually think we're more vulnerable today than we probably were 20 years ago as a consequence of these of these policies, uh, or we will be more vulnerable if these policies are not reversed by a future administration. They haven't been implemented yet. It's all in legislation. It's what they plan to do, but uh, really nothing has really been done on EMP or even on the climate change area. So, you know, it's not too late to uh, <clears throat> follow a course that's going to protect us against the worst and most serious and most scientifically based threat that we face, which is EMP and cyber warfare. You know, Peter Pry, you and I have been talking about this now for many years on Fox, on Levin TV, on radio, and I feel like almost no effective progress has been made. Um, I don't know what it's going to take for Washington to protect the electrical grid. They, they seem to believe that electricity comes from nowhere. Uh, they don't understand it has to be produced. It has to be conveyed. It has to be brought to a home or to a business or what have you. Uh, they know as well as I know, because you've told them how vulnerable this grid is. They know, uh, I know, and they know because you've told them uh, what would happen if this grid is knocked out and how easily it could be knocked out. I want you, when we return, to remind the American people, if a nation knocks out our grid, first of all, would it be difficult to do? And secondly, what would happen to the people watching this program this evening? What would happen to their homes, to their bank accounts, to their automobiles, to their way of life? That's how serious this is. While we're debating transgenderism, while we're debating a, a, a phony voting rights bill, while we're debating all kinds of issues that the Democrat Party puts front and center with their media friends, there are real substantive issues that can really uh, affect the American people in very grave ways. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Peter Pry, what would happen if the electrical grid were hit, and how easy is it to knock it out? Well, if we had a protracted nationwide blackout that lasted a year, the EMP commission assessed that we could lose up to 90% of our population through disease, societal collapse, <clears throat> and... Uh, uh, basically anarchy, and uh, you know that estimate 
is true just from common sense. If you look at what the aftermath of hurricanes is that don't last a year, uh, for example, in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina, it only took, on, on average, when we have blackouts, uh, it usually only takes about 24 hours after the light goes out uh, for chaos to start raining in the in, in the streets. The um, uh, biggest problem is, is water and food. Uh, when you lose the electric grid, you lose running water. People can't survive for a long period of time without running water. Uh, the facilities that purify water, there tends to be backup when there's a, a, a blackout so that human wastes, industrial wastes, uh, you know, backflow into lakes and rivers, which become undrinkable. Uh, they're undrinkable now, even in normal times. Uh, you know, you run a risk of getting sick or dying from dry, uh, drinking from them. But if they're polluted with industrial wastes and human wastes afterwards, you know, that would uh, surely result in lots of uh, human deaths. Look at Venezuela, you know, which wasn't attacked. Socialism knocked out their electric grid for weeks and people were drinking from the sewers. Uh, and, uh, you know, there have been many fatalities as a consequence of, uh, of that sort of a thing. The uh, nuclear reactors could go Fukushima. There's only enough uh, emergency power and batteries and generators to run the 100 nuclear power plants that are spread across the country. Uh, you know, and uh, in seven days, uh, they could go Fukushima and spread ra radioactivity. When you say go Fukushima, what do you mean by that? I'm referring to the uh, what happened in Fukushima, Japan, when they were struck by a tidal wave uh, and the uh, electric grid collapsed there. And the uh, uh, eventually the emergency generators ran out of fuel and then they ran out of batteries to cool the uh, the uh, the nuclear reactor cores and to keep the radioactive fuel rods that are in the cooling ponds cool. And uh, the water then evaporated and you had steam explosions that spread radioactivity in Japan. Uh, uh, and that's the kind of a thing that could happen at 100 U.S. nuclear power plants, not just an, uh, an isolated one. But I don't want to give aid and comfort to those who are anti-nuclear power. Nuclear power plants, uh, you know, the control systems uh, can be hardened against DMP very easily. And it would be very easy to, if, if smart people were in charge of the Nuclear Regulatory Commission to follow the recommendations of the EMP Commission, uh, you know, we could make the nuclear power plants part of the answer to national EMP preparedness. They could become islands of survivability that could bring back the big grid. And in fact, one of my colleagues, Ambassador Henry Cooper, is involved in a project to do just that with a particular uh, nuclear reactor uh, project that he's he's doing in cooperation with uh, with Duke Energy. So, actually, uh, what you said before about there being there is progress being made, less at the federal level, but more at the state and local levels. Uh, I think what you and I have been doing, Mark, to raise consciousness about EMP uh, has been extremely important because in democracies, one of the first things that has to be done is you have to educate people to the facts about what the threat is. And I think that the average American at this point probably knows as much about EMP as uh, the, some of the officials and competent officials in Washington who are supposed to be working to solve the problem. I had the experience last week of being in a, uh, a an almost week-long blackout caused by an unusual blizzard that happened in, on Lake Anna in Virginia. And uh, uh, 
one of the things people started talking about on day five of the blackout was that, gee, they can't even protect us against a blizzard. What would happen if there was an EMP and we and we were faced with the prospects of a protracted long blackout that would last mm-hmm. months or a year? This is my neighbors. You know, these people are not physicists or experts on EMP, but because of the information that's been out there, I think the average American's consciousness about the EMP threat has been very significantly raised. And this has resulted in positive actions at the level of states. Uh, There are a number of states, uh, for example, uh, heroic state legislators in Maine and Texas, uh, in uh, Utah, uh, have put forward legislative initiatives to try to protect their states from EMP. And by the way, you can protect the state, the whole country. If Washington isn't going to do the job, our states should step up and do the job. How much money would it cost to do this uh, throughout the entire electrical grid? The EMP commission estimated we could protect the bulk power system for about two to four billion dollars, all right, which is Nothing compared to what they're spending on COVID. Now, that's not a perfect solution. It would require the utilities and the federal government to engage in smart planning so that we would protect core assets and then quickly recover the grid before before disaster. However, you know, for 20 or 30 billion, you could you could idiot proof it so that you wouldn't need the feds or the utilities to get it right. And it would be hardened to military standards. Peter Pry, we have to go. Idiot-proof is a tough thing. So first we have to deal with Washington, which needs to be idiot-proofed, and then we can get to the grid. I want to thank you, my friend. Very, very important. You take care of yourself. Thank you so much for having me, Mark. And if any of your listeners want to help, they could go to www.emptaskforce.us. We need volunteers to help us work on this problem. All right. We'll be right back. Welcome back, America. In so many ways, we live in a post-constitutional country. We're not really a republic anymore. We're not really a federal republic, not really a representative republic. So many decisions are made that we have no say in. So what are we? It's a good question. We need to hold on to what's left of our constitutional system, that's for sure. But we have every right to expect the federal government to do what the federal government is supposed to do under the Constitution, secure our borders, and that includes immigration, and protect us from enemies, foreign and domestic. Foreign enemies, you talk about the grid. Foreign enemies, you talk about how they're undermining our military. Foreign enemies, you talk about how they're undermining our police force. All of these elements are needed to protect us from all kinds of enemies. Federal government is the biggest pensioner, the biggest landlord, the biggest tenant. It's the biggest creditor, it's the biggest loaner, it's the biggest employer. It's the biggest everything. Is that what the Constitution created? The biggest everything? And more than anything else, it is the plaything now of the Democrat Party. The entire agenda of this country is driven by the Democrat Party, their media, and their academies in this country. And this is what we have to resist, and this is what we have to confront. There are issues that are very, very important, and we'll continue to talk about them whether they do or not. I'll see you next time on Life, Liberty, and Life. All right, everybody, catch you, catch you on a Steve Hilton, The Next Revolution. Peace. Have a good one. The character of God, God as a person, God as a presence, is actually being deleted 
from our culture on purpose. And I'll, I'll tell you what I mean. You know, when you read Shakespeare, you watch a Shakespeare play, a lot of people will tell you that Shakespeare is a secular writer. Uh, and I disagree with that. I think that secular, uh, that Shakespeare is the most Christian uh, writer because he sees every character in full, right? And he puts him in a moral context. Each character is in a moral web. So when you see Richard III, you see a guy who has determined to be a villain, uh, and he kills his way to the throne. And then as he is ready for the final battle, uh, Bosworth Field, I believe, yes, uh, he, he suddenly is visited by the ghosts of the people he's killed, and each one of them says to him, despair and die. <laughs> and that's the counsel that his victims give him because he has, in, in violating the moral web, he has violated something within himself, something that is actually implanted in himself, like Raskolnikov in Crime and Punishment. And so we see that we're living in this moral world that is informed by Christianity, even if uh, God isn't walking around and angels don't show up and there aren't miracles going on. But what's happening now is very different. And I will tell a story. I've told this story before, but it's, it's a personal story, but it's worth telling again in this context, which is that in uh, around 2009, 2008, I was contacted by Thomas Nelson, a Christian publisher, and they asked me if I would do some young adult adventure stories specifically geared to boys because there aren't a lot of young adult stories for boys. They felt too many of them are, are just for girls, and they wanted me to do something for boys. And I said, sure, but I want you to know that they contacted me because they had read that I had become a Christian. And I said, I want you to know I'm not going to preach to people. I don't believe that makes good for good storytelling. I don't believe that it, it actually advances anything. What all I will do is I will make my hero a Christian. That's the only thing I'm going to do. He's going to be a Christian. He's going to act like a Christian kid would act. Uh, and he's going to do the things a Christian kid would do in the midst of this dangerous situation that I'll put him in. Uh, and my character was named Charlie West, and the books were called The Homelanders. And the Homelanders were a very successful series. They did really well, uh, and, uh, and they're still selling. I'm still making royalties off them. And, and kids, and especially boys who don't read, uh, very much love the Homelanders books, and they're really taken with them. So I sold them in several countries, and I got a very good deal for them in England. And one day I came home, and there was a package on my desk, and it was a manuscript from England uh, that had been that wanted me to edit it. Now that doesn't usually happen. Usually England just takes the American edit and puts it into England, so they'll translate tire to T-Y-R-E, but other than that, they will leave it alone. And I said, well, what, why am I editing, do I have to edit the English copy? And they said, well, they want you to take out references to God. And I said, what do you mean? And they said, well, they just want you to edit some stuff out. So I'm going to give you an example. Uh, Charlie West is on the run. The police think he's a murderer. The terrorists are trying to hunt him down. And he, in one of the books, he's in a bathroom and he's attacked by a killer. He's a karate guy. He knocks the killer out and he steals his wallet. And this is what he says. This is a quote from the book. He says, I searched his pockets. In his right front pocket, I found a silver money clip with about $200 in it. Yes, I know the Ten Commandments. And yes, I know you're not supposed to steal, but this didn't feel like stealing. The guy was a killer after all. He was my killer if he'd had his way. I figured he owed me at least this much. I stuffed the cash into my pocket. And the British editors wanted me to take out the reference to the Ten Commandments. They said, well, why can't he just know that he doesn't steal? And I said, because he's a Christian. These are his reference points. And I wouldn't do it. And they said, you have to do it, because if you don't do it, Waterstones, the largest uh, bookseller in the country, will not order anywhere near as many books. They will order just a few books because they do not want this kind of content in their bookstores. And I said, 
if he were a Jew and they were asking me to take him out because they don't like Jews, or a Muslim and they were asking me to take out the Koran, you would understand why I can't do that. Both they and my agent came back to me five times saying, you have to do this. And I kept saying, I, I can't. It's, it's, it's wrong. It's actually wrong. You know, the other day my wife told me I was ornery. And I said, ornery me? And she said, anyone who knows you would say you're ornery. And I was thinking about this story and I thought, maybe I am ornery, but I cannot understand how anyone could do it. I wouldn't do it. And in fact, they, Waterstones cut the number, the order of the books, and the books did not do well in England because they couldn't get in and sell them. My point is simply this. They were purposely editing out the reason this kid felt that he shouldn't steal this money, right? It is different. It is different for God to infuse your vision as he does in Shakespeare and for him to be purposely edited out, edited out so you can't mention him, right? Those are two very different things. So you're being lied to. You're being lied to because the way the culture works, culture is not propaganda. I know that right-wingers think this all the time. What culture does is it creates a kind of cloud of what you know around you. It surrounds you. It creates your conscience. This is what James Joyce said. He said it creates the uncreated conscience of the race. And so all of this stuff surrounds you. And those of you who write to me and says, well, you know, Christianity is kind of a, a you know, coping me- uh, mechanism or a crotch or something like this, uh, you know, that is being piped into your um into your mind purposely by the people in Hollywood and in publishing uh, who are doing this. Now, the culture right now, in my estimation, is struggling to find a picture of decent manhood. We went through a, a great golden age of television for a couple of years, and most of that centered around bad men. But they were attractive to us because they were men. The most obvious one of these is Breaking Bad, who starts out as a henpecked husband and ends up as a great big gangster who says to his wife, you know, I'm the one who comes for people. I'm the, I'm the man who knocks. But there was also Tony Soprano, who was a manly man, uh, but a, a villain. Uh, Vic Mackey in The Shield, one of the better uh, of these shows. They were outlaw men. The only exception was actually Justified, uh, starring Nick Searcy and some other guy. No, it was starring Tim Ollivant and Nick Searcy also was great. In it. But that was about an old-fashioned and Gary Cooper cowboy dealing with the fact that he lived in this modern world where it was very hard for men to be men. But now we're trying to find, we're struggling. You can see it in the culture. We're struggling to find what a decent man looks like. And can we tell stories about decent men? And, and yet, and yet, we can't accept that one of the things that makes decent men decent is a connection to the moral universe. In the first season of Justified, they ask, uh, Oliphant's character, the, the, the hero, do you believe in God? And he says, yes, I do. It's very, uh, very clear, and it's very clear that this is something that's guiding him. Today we have this glaring example. I've talked about this in one of my bonus videos that you get if you subscribe to my YouTube channel. Uh, I talked about Ted Lasso, and I started watching Ted Lasso. I think I watched the entire first season, and I thought, you know, this is dishonest. This is Jason Sudeikis. Uh, it's a it's a character who was from a NBC sports promo, and they gave him an entire. Uh, story of his own. And what he is, is he's this American coach. He's brought over to coach English soccer, uh, what they call football, for some strange reason. Uh, But he's brought over to coach it, even though he doesn't know anything about soccer. But what he brings with him is this incredible upbeat attitude, a kind of uh, it-can-be-done attitude. And he is obviously, obviously 
an evangelical Christian. He is Ned Flanders from The Simpsons. Now, Ned Flanders from The Simpsons is a really interesting character. I'm talking about the old Simpsons when it was still a good show, in that we make fun of him because of his ridiculous uh, version of God. His version of God is so, you know, uh, is so uh, happy-go-lucky and always there. Here's a scene from The Simpsons uh, where he basically is filming a, a documentary or he's doing his own movie about Moses being left in the in the basket and Moses, the baby, is swept away and he prays to God to save him. Lights, camera, hag, diddly-doddly-doodly, action, Jackson! <laughs> Flanders to God, Flanders to God, get off your cloud and save my Todd! <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Thanks, God. Oakley dokley. Oakley dokley. So, <laughs> Ned Flanders' God is Ned Flanders up in heaven. He's just a gigantic Ned Flanders. But he's there. See, this is the one of the things about this, especially the early Simpsons. The God is actually there. He's just not the God that we think he is. He's, he's a much more complex uh, character than Ned Flanders. So, Ned Flanders is funny, uh, in his faith, but his faith is not basically just floating there. Ted Lasso is Ned Flanders, but God has been excised from his character. He, he re- always refers to God as a woman. Uh, he talks about, there's a Christmas episode, and he talks about Christmas being Santa's birthday. Uh, he's constantly, constantly dissing God. And there's a, a Christian blogger named Mike Frost who noticed this, and he wrote this, this is really interesting. He said, he said, some might say I'm nitpicking here. See, this is because he doesn't understand that this is being done on purpose. This is Hollywood doing this on purpose. He says, the show is made by Apple TV, not TBN, after all. I don't expect Ted Lasso to start preaching the gospel. I'm just saying the complete lack of any reference to anything remotely religious or Christian seems glaring when the show itself is so Christian. And then he quotes a book, Mark Sayers and Disappearing Church. He says, today, we want the kingdom without the king. Sayers says, post-Christianity is ultimately the project of the West, to move beyond Christianity whilst feasting on its fruit. Thus, it constantly offers us options and off-ramps in which we seemingly can have what we enjoy about faith, but without the sacrifices and commitments. And uh, the blogger Mike Frost uh, continues, Ted Lasso offers the promise of a Christless kind of Christianity, a world of repaired relationships, multi-ethnic banquets, and renewed souls with no reference to Christ himself. And in Sayer's mind, that makes it part of an insidious push in Western culture to use soft power to eat away at our commitments. It is part of an insidious, I mean, the story that I'm telling you about England, it is part of an insidious push to take Christ out of the equation. They want to be decent, but they don't want to let go. This is one of the things that really gets me about Ted Lasso. It's very much in support of casual sex, of one-night stands. You'll see Ted Lasso have a one-night stand and kind of feel uncomfortable about it, but you don't know why he should feel uncomfortable about it, and then everybody talks him out of it. Why are you being un- you know, feeling uncomfortable about it? And Ted Lasso grows into uh, you know an acceptance of casual sex because he has nothing to anchor him to anything else. And it's, it's truly... A lie. It is a lie. They want they want the gold apple, but they don't want to let go of the babe in their hands to, so they can put their hands on the golden apple of, of God. You know, there's another show, and I've also talked about this show on uh, on the exclusive YouTube content 
that I think is just great. It's called Line of Duty, and it's by a really talented writer named Jed Mercurio. Some of you may have seen The Bodyguard, which I didn't like as much as Line of Duty, but he's Jed Mercurio is a good crime writer. He really knows how to plot well, and he writes terrific characters, and I really like him. But there's a character on the show that I have loved from the beginning, and I'm only talking about the first three seasons of the show because I don't want to give too much away. There's a character named Ted Hastings who is played brilliantly by a Northern Irish writer-actor named Adrian Dunbar, and... He is the guy who runs the anti-corruption unit in this uh, police force. And that's one of the ways the show is exploring decency is by having an anti-corruption unit, the guy who goes after the cops like Vic Mackey from The Shield. And he, he's, Ted Hastings runs this anti-corruption unit. And we know that his wife deserted him because he invested their money without telling her and he lost the money. So his wife has left him. And his wife is not very forgiving and not very nice about it, but he's living alone. And yet, Ted Hastings won't cheat on her. He says that she, he was a virgin when he married. He waited until he was married. He's a little bit appalled by all the young men around him who are constantly sleeping around. And when somebody else tries to seduce him, he says, I made vows. I can't get around that. I cannot get around the fact that I made vows. Later, the woman who tried to seduce him turns out to be at the heart of a massive, massive nationwide corruption uh, that is about the abuse of young people, young people for sex. Uh, and we know that this is basically pervasive in British society, according to this show. And the reason, the reason that Ted Hastings can stand up against this corruption is because he didn't sleep with her, because he kept his vows to his marriage, even though his wife has unfairly uh, deserted him. And so here's the scene between Ted Hastings and this woman as she tries to get him to sign on to the corruption. Anti-corruption is a double-edged sword. We need to find just enough bent coppers to avoid accusations of a cover-up, but not so many that the public starts to wonder if the police can be trusted. So we let Patrick Fairbank just slip through the net because of all the peers and the politicians and the police officers he might implicate. Meanwhile, we go back to chasing disc jockeys and what? Game show hosts. I'm just doing my job. And I'm doing mine. And it's called Nick and Bent Coppers. And I don't care whether it's one rotten apple or the whole bloody barrel. There's a line, it's called right and wrong. And I know which side my duty lies. So why don't you write a nice letter of resignation to the PCC or I swear to God, I will drag you down with the rest of them. <laughs> so, so one man standing against an entire corrupt society because he's able to do this because he did not sleep with this woman because he made vows to a woman who has walked out on him. And, and Ted Hastings has become a big deal in England. They love him and they especially love his Tedisms, which are these little sayings that he always has. Among them are these. Mother of God. 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 Jesus, Mary and Joseph. He obviously comes from a Catholic background. We never see him in church. We never see him pray. We never see any of this. But we know that this guy is informed by Christianity. And that's why he is who he is, right? And this is, and that's honest writing because that is who he would be. 
All I'm just saying, if you want to argue you can be a good person and still sleep around or live without faith, you can go and make that argument, but make it honestly. Come on out and say that this is what you're saying. What I'm saying to you is the culture is lying to you. In the same way that when politicians and the press lie, we should question everything they say. When the culture lies, when Hollywood lies, we should question the assumptions that they are trying to create in our minds. If you enjoyed this content, and how could you not, like and subscribe. And if you want more Claveny goodness, subscribe to The Andrew Claven Show wherever you get your podcasts.